Grab your Bibles and open them once again to the book of Hebrews as we continue our study with that. Hebrews chapter 6, we'll get there in a minute. A couple of quick things. Um, first of all, guys, you've noticed that we have all this construction out in front of us. It's, an, uh, it's a, not a thing we can do about it. Um, but when you're leaving today, if you plan to go west, you probably need to use this exit over here. If you plan to go east, actually, you will not be allowed to go east from this exit over here. If you plan to go west, you'll need to lose, use this exit over here. Well, there, there will be police out there helping you get out. But uh, we're going to be facing this uh, construction problem for about two months, uh, June, June, probably maybe three months. Uh, so uh, those are just some uh, upgrades that the city is making. Also, um, Gigi started yesterday, um, next week, How to Speak in Tongues. That's a teaser, ladies and gentlemen. It's a joke. But um, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian is so misunderstood and so necessary. So that's what that'll be about. So come if you like. Uh, we'd love to have you. Uh, also, uh, as I was told, as Landon said, there are like three spots left in the systematics uh, class. We keep it small. If you're interested in learning something more about reformed Soteriology, uh, that might be for you, but you, not, you need to make a move. And then finally, guys, we have an appointment two weeks from tomorrow with 500 kids. 500 kids are going to be knocking on our doors, one just saying, would someone please teach me about Jesus? <laughs> guys, we can't, we can't uh, let that down. We, we, we've got to do well at that. So as uh, I was told, there are seven teachers that are needed out of 35. So if you've been uh, dragging your feet, it's time to um, pick up the pace and uh, let's uh, see that those kids do not get neglected. Now, you follow as I read <laughs> that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. It's the very mind of God as black words on a white page. So uh, you follow. I'll begin reading at verse 4 and I'll read through verse 12. It reads like this. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they then fall away, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt, for land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those, for those take it, uh, or for those who sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be cursed, to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. 
Guys, there are spots in Europe um, which have been the scene of numerous frequent um, battles. Uh, Belgium comes immediately to mind. If you know anything about World War I or World War II, of course, when the Germans were on their way to try and conquer Europe, they headed to France to sub, uh, subdue her, and they had to go through Belgium to get there. Belgium has been called the battlefield of Europe. Well, guys, I, I say that to say this. There are spots in the Bible that could be called battlefields. Um... I know of no other passage in the Bible, anywhere, that is more contested, more debated, than is the one which is our text this morning. Let me tell you a quick story, kind of as an aside. Uh, back when I was a student at Reformed Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, oh gosh, uh, 74 or so, I was sitting in a class, and uh, it was rumored that J.I. Packer was on campus. Now, that's a name that's familiar to some of you, but... He's highly esteemed in, in my world. Um, and so I, we heard that he was on campus, and so I feigned some, yes, I did. I feigned some kind of illness, temporary, <coughs> you know, that kind of thing, um, so I could get out of class and go uh, meet uh, J.I. Packer. So I did, and I got out the door, and sure enough, there he was. And they were showing him around the campus, and, you know, just a little small group. I didn't say a word, I just got in the group and listened. And at one point, uh, at one stop, I heard him say that the most hotly debated text in all of the Bible is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Our text for the morning. <laughs> Guys, um, what I have for you this morning is... Um, it's kind of a different kind of sermon. Uh, see, I, I only have one card. Um, actually, it's not even really a sermon. It's a theological treatise. Oh, no. Dr. Young loves theology, but it, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, it bores me to tears. I wish you could give me something more practical. I hear you. But ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot at stake with this text. A lot at stake. There are two divergent interpretations of this passage. Um, and the two camps completely contradict each other as to what these, these verses mean, which means that only one can be right. Either one camp is right or the other camp is right, but they can't both be right since they are complete opposites. So, what is it that's at stake then, Dr. Young? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's a doctrine. It's a doctrine that addresses our safety. Am I actually safe? Or can I, as a Christian, lose my salvation? 
the opposing camp says, <laughs> I mean, it's, um, it's quite clear. It's right there in verse 6. It says, if, if you fall away, there it is, case closed. And um, whatever assurance that you folks think you might have about your own personal spiritual safety, you need to give it up. Um, there was a, a Roman Catholic uh, cardinal by the name of Bellarmine. Uh, he's been dead 100 years or so, but there's a college in California that's named after him, uh, Bellarmine College. And he said at one point that assurance, that is a sense that I, am tr- that I truly belong to God through Christ, assurance is a, and I'm quoting, a damnable and pernicious heresy. Do you get that? Any of you folks got assurance out there? Then according to Rome, you are in possession of a damnable and pernicious heresy. And, they go on, any of those evangelical preachers like that young guy who have been telling you that your soul is safe, they've lied to you. Now, guys, I, I realize that assurance and, and eternal security are not the same things. But if you discard eternal security, then assurance goes with it. So all of you people out there who have been using this slogan, this evangelical slogan about once saved, always saved, balderdash, says Rome. Very honestly, I wish you'd give that slogan up too. It's, it's just the words that are so misleading. But don't, don't ever let go of your grasp of the beauties of the doctrine of eternal security. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's what's at stake. Your peace. Guys, Eventually, in the course of your spiritual experience, there's going to come a time, probably at night, when Satan's fangs are bigger than they are in the daytime, you know, there's going to come a time when he is going to torment you about the status of your soul. And he's going to whisper into your ear, you couldn't possibly be one of his. You couldn't possibly be on your way to heaven because you know what you did. And you're going to need this. Not my sermon. You're going to need this text. And you're going to need to understand it. So I entreat you. Listen. The thing that is at stake, my friends, is is your peace, our peace. Okay, guys, what we have, as I said, is a theological treatise in the place of a sermon. And here we go. Guys, um... 
the, the opposing camp will take you uh, again and again to verse 6 where it says, if they fall away. And they say, there it is. It's case closed. It's very clear, very simple. But, <clears throat> guys, the, under, the, the meaning of those words depend on how you understand the description of the person that's being described in verses 4 and 5. There is a description of a person in verses 4 and 5. Who is that person that's being described by the author of the book of Hebrews? Who is he? Is he a Christian or a non-Christian? Once you determine that, then you can go from there. Okay? So let's look closely at the description that's being offered you. It's, um, it's a five-fold description, and it starts in verse, um, in verse 4, where it says, for deposit, who have once been, here's the first part, enlightened. Um, they have an intellectual grasp of the truth. But it, ne- but it never says here that they believe that truth. It's just that they have been enlightened by it. Here's the second part of the description. These people have tasted the heavenly gift. Um, tasting something is not, to, um, is not to consume it or digest it. It's just to sample it to see if you would like more of it. Uh, they've tasted of a heavenly gift. And then it says the third part of the description is they have shared in the Holy Spirit. Guys, it doesn't say that they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It simply says they have shared in the Holy Spirit. Um, they have seen his blessings. They have seen the, his, the, the, his work. Uh, they have seen his gifts and his graces uh, displayed in the, in the, in, in the church. Uh, the fourth part. And they have tasted of the goodness of the word of God. These people have heard some very good preaching. They, they, on, on one occasion, they would look up after what they've heard, and they say, well, wow, that was really a good sermon. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that one of the, uh, 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 one of the persons that really loved the preaching of John the Baptist was a guy by the name of Herod, Herod Antipas? Herod Antipas was the guy that chopped off his head, but he loved his preaching. Uh, John, uh, George Whitfield, you may have heard that name, George Whitfield was probably the greatest evangelist that had ever been on the shores of America. George Whitfield, um, one of his greatest admirers, was a man by the name of Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. Benjamin Franklin was, it, it said, uh, made this comment about George Whitfield. He said, um, I don't believe what that man's preaching, but he sure does. Uh, they have tasted of the, uh, of the uh, good words of heaven. They, they've, they've heard some... Some good preaching on occasion. And then it says, finally, the, the final piece of the... Uh, they've also tasted of the powers of the age to come. They recognize in some way that once Jesus arrived, things got different and the, and the last days are upon them. Guys, <clears throat> they, uh, they, they've tasted some things. They've been exposed to some things. Now, um, possibly... I have already played my cards. Possibly, for those of you who are here, uh, I have already exposed uh, what I think that description is. That is, what is being described by that fivefold description. But if you didn't get it, let me tell you very clearly. What is being described here is a group of non-Christians who have been, on one occasion, a part of the Christian movement, a part of the church, their church-going folk, 
but they are no longer. They are apostate. Um, But guys, there's far more proof than just that. There are two arguments that I want to give you. One is helpful. The other is slam dunk. I have two arguments. Uh, In support of my assertion that what's being described here is non-Christians, one of the arguments is helpful, the other is case closed. You need to listen. You're going to need this. In the middle of the night, in some future occasion, you're going to need this. You're going to need this to speak it to your own soul. You're going to need this information to speak peace to your own soul. So I entreat you. Listen. Okay, here's the first line of argument, guys. As I said, it is helpful, but it is not, it is not conclusive. The other one is. I'll show you that in a minute. But here's the first argument. You will notice in that five-fold description that the terms are vague. They are vague intentionally, ladies and gentlemen. You don't get any word in that five-fold description such as saved or born again or justified or forgiven. You will notice in that five-fold description there is no mention of faith. It is a description. It is a description that says certain interesting things, but certain uh, words that would make it a, a case closed are not there. It is, a, it is intentionally vague. And all of those words that we're looking for are absent. Conspicuously, they are absent in the description. Okay? Do you see that? That's the first argument. Helpful, but not conclusive. The next one's conclusive. All right, guys, this is technical, and you need every word of it. Grab your Bibles and look at them with me, okay? I want you to notice, and I want you to go over to chapter 5, verse uh, 11, where this this whole thing starts. This whole section starts in verse 11, 511, and I want you to notice. I want you to notice that the, um, the pronouns that are being used in verse five, chapter 5, verse 11, are first and second person singular and plural pronouns. Look, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. You see, and this we, you, those are first and second person singular and plural pronouns. That kind of terminology, those kinds of pronouns, uh, continue over into chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us, there's another first and second uh, person uh, pronoun. Look at verse 3. And this we will do if God permits. Those are all first and second person singular and plural pronouns. At verse 4, 
The pronouns shift. There is a shift in the pronouns, ladies and gentlemen. Look at it. Look look, look at verse 4. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those. Look at verse 6. And if they... Those are third-person pronouns. Now, what is the author doing? It's very clear in verse 9, ladies and gentlemen. Watch it. Look at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, look, yet in your case, there's a second-person plural pronoun, beloved, we, first person plural pronoun, feel sure of better things. Watch. Things that belong to salvation. There's one of those words we would like to see, ladies and gentlemen. That's a slam dunk word. That's a case closed word. Salvation. Do you see what the author has done, gang? He has created two groups. He has created the us and the them by his use of pronouns. And then he makes it clear in verse 9. He says, this, 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 this is true of them. But in your case, we are convinced of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Because you see, for this group, the word salvation is applicable. But not this group. But you see, he says, we speak in this way. And in your case, not in their case, but in your case. We're convinced of better things. Things that are associated with, identified with salvation. Not this group. Not them. But us. That, ladies and gentlemen, I would suggest to you is a case-closed argument. But let me go just a little further. Ladies and gentlemen, if you say that verses 4 through 6 are describing Christians, let me explain to you what the consequences of your saying it are. Let me tell you what you're saying. Let me tease that out for you just a little bit. What you're saying is that the work of God's sovereign grace to save can be undone. That the work of sovereign grace to save can be overturned. What you're saying is that someone could pass from spiritual death to spiritual life and then go back to spiritual death. 
What you're saying, if you continue to to insist, as does Rome and others, that these are Christians, that what you're saying is you can pass from spiritual darkness into spiritual light and then back into spiritual darkness. But here's my favorite. What you're saying is that you can be a son of the devil. You can become a son of God. And then you can become a son of the devil again. Because you see, God can save you, but he can't keep you. Gang, what I hope you will see is this. That not only does God save us from our own spiritual deadness, but he also commits to keep us. I want to quote you a verse, and then I want to read you one, um, which I hope will be clear. Here's the one that I want to quote you. The one I quote you comes from Philippians chapter 1, and it goes like this. Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun the good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Can I say it again? Listen. For I am confident of this very thing, says Paul, that he who hath begun this good work in you, who begun it? God did. That he who hath begun this good work in you will perfect it. Take it to its completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He saved you, and he will keep you to the end. But let me read it to you out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking, and he says this. This is John 10. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. It's as if he's describing this kind of scene. Okay, Jesus came and got Jimmy Young and saved him and he's got him in his clutches. No one will snatch him out of Jesus. But then the Father comes and snatches Jesus such that Jimmy Young will never be snatched from the Father nor the Son's grasp. Guys, um, Let me tell you the scary part. This is the the scary part.
Where is one most likely to find people like the ones being described in Hebrews 6, 4 through 6? Where do you, where do you most likely find people like that? Enlightened, sharers, tasters. You know where you find them? Here. In the church. That fivefold description in verses four through six could be said about all of us. And the warning is if these things have not made you new and you fall away from them. It is impossible, not unlikely, it is impossible to ever bring you to saving faith, ever. Guys, what you have in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 through 6 and following is the plea of a pastor to a group of people that he loved and he is saying do not neglect your soul he said to us in chapter 2 verse 1 pay much closer attention Or you just may fall away, which will prove that you were never converted in the first place. So to toy with, to dabble in, to trifle with these matters of the soul, is utterly pleading with you as a pastor who loves you we must pay much closer attention to the matters of our soul Father, I thank you for the privilege that is mine to try and explain these things to the comfort of your people. Might they never be troubled ever again by any one or any enemy of their soul to try and convince them that that because of sin we have forfeited our salvation. Our Father, if you have ever saved us, we will never be lost. And would you use these comments on this text, so embattled, 
so such such warfare over these words but would you use these this very battlefield to be the thing that brings ultimate peace to the souls of your people but father if you have brought in here this morning someone who has never yet embraced this savior who has never yet seen that their sin creates this need for a savior would you cause them to see it now that the only safety that any of us have is in Christ and him crucified that he is the one that lived the life that I was supposed to live but I didn't live it and so he lived it for me and he is the one who died the death that I should have died but he died that in my place open men and women's eyes to see the great beauty of the finished work of Jesus Christ do that father for Jesus sake we pray of course in his name